about courageous living in turbulent times. Now, I think that the word turbulent uh, would best describe, and, and put this on your notes, best describes the days in which we live. How many, how many uh, I, I, on the way to church, uh, some town in Missouri is, is, there's all kinds of chaos going on because someone, uh, you know, uh, was killed. And now there's riots and burning and looting and all this stuff going on in some town in Missouri. And, and, uh, and I was thinking on the way to church, what does robbing and burning a shoe store have to do with getting justice for somebody that was shot? I don't equate stealing shoes with getting justice for someone that was killed. So somehow, but that's the type of world we live in. They use any kind of a reason to justify bad behavior. And uh, the, the person that no doubt owned that shoe store probably didn't even know the person that was killed. And they're an innocent bystander. And now their shoe store is ransacked, not only the shoe store, but all the other shops and stores uh, that have been ransacked and looted. They had absolutely nothing to do with the incident at all. And yet they're all involved in this. You know, and I'm thinking, how our world, the world has a funny way of processing these issues. We live in turbulent times. And uh, we need to learn how to cope. But now we should not be, we should not be as a church, because you're armed with truth, okay? We, we should not be surprised at this. Now, when you watch, when you watch the news, I'm telling you if, you, if you do not understand that God has everything in the, under control, uh, you would be like Robin, Robin Williams tonight. You'd just go hang yourself in the closet. I'm telling you the truth, because it looks like from the way the news media puts it, that everything is completely out of control. How many knows that God has everything under control? Amen. And we're going, I'm, going to, I'm going to share that with you tonight, though. And we'll go through the life of Daniel and his friends. But now, this was described to us in the scriptures. We live in the last days, correct? correct, correct. I, how many really believe that? We, believe, we live in the last moments of time, okay? So the Word told us what to look for. Luke chapter 17, verses 26 and 29. Now, Matthew doesn't, Matthew talks about the days of Noah, but he doesn't. But Luke adds a little bit to the, uh, to the scenario about end time. And he puts in not only the days of Noah, but he said also it was in the days of Lot. And so Luke kind of expands it. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. Uh, they ate, they drank, they married wives. Uh, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. Uh, but on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. And so it gives two illustrations that, that gives us a picture of what's going to be taking place uh, just before the return of Christ. And so I want to share just, just a few of them with you as we get into this lesson, all right? Those days were filled, number one, with violence. Another word for violence was lawlessness. Exactly what's going on in Missouri. Those people are lawless. They are without restraint. Uh, they, they are claiming they want the law to, uh, they want justice for this young man who was shot. And who does not want justice for the young man that was shot? But, but looting and shooting and robbing and killing other people is not a way to get justice for that young man. Okay, so they're lawless. They're, there's a violence, a lawlessness, all right? In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 11. There are earth also, now this is in, it's the days of Noah, the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with what? Violence, lawlessness, 
People doing whatever they were big enough to do. The world is, is reverting and, and evolving back to that time before the flood when, when God saw all this stuff that was going on. Men was there a, a law unto themselves. And it's getting back to that same uh, situation in, in the days in which we live, all right? There was a, and secondly, there was a disregard for human life. There was a complete disregard for human life, the sanctity of life. Now, I, I want to say this, Genesis chapter 4, verse 23. Then Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, wives of Lamech, listen to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. Now notice, the whole, the whole thing was, he was bragging that he had killed a young man for, for insulting him or hurting him. And uh, so not only did he murder this man, but he had no, simply no disregard for his life at all, and he was bragging all over the country about doing it, and especially to his family. Uh, so there was a complete disregard in, for, the, for the sanctity of life or the sacredness of life. Now, how many, thought, how many would have thought 30 years ago that abortion would be as bad as it is today? Nobody, did they? Life is cheap. Life is really cheap. Just as it was in the days, I mean, the human life is nothing. Now, I, I have to say this kind of, I know that Robin Williams, he was a, a funny guy. Uh, he, was, he was definitely a troubled person. But, and I know sometimes the news media today is, is uh, he, the way he ended his life was not the way to go about it. Hanging himself, and now I realize that we all know people that have committed suicide, and, and God's a judge on all that stuff, okay? And we know that people are not in the right mind when they do that. So God is their judge. But, but suicide is the ultimate slap in God's face. That is someone taking, only God has the right to take life. God gave it. God is the one. So when we take our own life, we're, we're putting ourselves in the place of God and saying, God, I'm going to do it with my life as I want to. Now, somebody that premeditates that, committing suicide and premeditates and plans it, is different than someone that is, doesn't have their mind straight. Understand that. I'm not I'm saying it. So I'm just saying that this would be a great time for the news media, if they was balanced, to educate people about suicide. Get help. Call someone. Call someone. You are not alone. Even though the enemy would like to tell you you're alone and the enemy would like to tell you that your situation is hopeless, there is no such thing as a hopeless situation. You have God. You have God. We need to get the message out about that. Then thirdly, they were consumed with the pleasures of this life. The society in which Lot lived and the society in which Noah lived, they were, they were consumed with the pleasures of this life. It was their total focus. They ate, they drank, they married, they given in marriage, uh, and they were totally consumed with pleasures rather than the spirituality or our, our godly values. Now, I've got to say this, delegate. I'm not against, I'm not opposed to vacations, I'm not opposed to taking time off, and I'm not a play, opposed to going to places of amusement. But when the places of amusements are full every Sunday and God's house is empty on Sunday, there's something wrong. And church houses all across America are closing and places of amusements are growing. There's something wrong with our value system in America. 
Okay, now remember, don't, I'm, there's a balance to everything. There's a balance to everything. But uh, you have to understand that that, that that is what the world would like to get us focused on is just this life, okay? So they were consumed with the pleasure of this life, all right? Little or no regard for spiritual matters. Genesis chapter 19, this is the, this is the uh, Genesis 19 verse 15 is a, an experience. When Lot, when the angels had come to Lot, uh, when the morning dawned and the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in, uh, in the punishment of the city. Uh, I think it's verse 17 where I want to go. Genesis chapter 19. Where it goes to his two, he goes to his two son-in-laws. Genesis chapter 19. Where he goes to his two son-in-laws and, and it looked like he was joking. They thought, you know, he was saying, Come on, you've got to get out of the city. And to his son-in-laws, uh, it, it was like he joked with them. They did not take him seriously, okay? So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you and not stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountain lest you be destroyed. Now, I, I know I wanted that place where he was talking to his son-in-laws, but I, I got the wrong scripture. You can find it in the book of Genesis. But his son-in-laws looked at him like he was joking, like he was out of his mind. Why? It's because now all at once he wants to be spiritual and they had no regard for spiritual matters in that town. So, so they had little regard for spiritual matters, all right? And then the fifth thing, there was a continual decline in morality. There was a t continual decline in morality, Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. There was a continual decline in the morality of the, of, the, of the earth. Now, would you say there has been a continual decline of morality in America and the world? Uh, in our time, have you seen a decline? We are living in turbulent times, sailor to how the enemy operates and how he will attempt to seduce you to accept the world's ways. Let me introduce you to some main players, and we're going to go through this, and we'll find it in Daniel chapter 1. I want to introduce you to some main players, and I'm going to reveal to you in a picture language and a real-life drama situation how the world tries to squeeze the church, are you, into its mold and, try, and tries to conform you to accept the world's ways and standards and ideas. This, what I'm going to share with you tonight, literally happened. It happened to a man named Daniel and his three friends, and we'll talk about him. But I want to introduce you to the first, to the first one, all right? Now, uh, before we do that, before we do this now, uh, introduce you to Nebuchadnezzar, okay? King of Babylon. Babylon represents the world system. Babylon represents the world system. And you have to remember this. Babylon is always a symbol of evil. Where did we first hear about Babylon? In the book of Genesis after the flood, what happened? The tower of what? That's where it started. The last time you're going to hear about Babylon is in Revelation chapter 17 and verse 18 where, where Babylon is destroyed. Babylon is a reference to an evil system. It's a world system. It's, it's anti-Christ. It's anti-Christian. It's anti-church. It's against you living for God. It's a system, Okay. It's a symbol of evil, okay? And now notice, uh, there's three ways 
there's Daniel and his three friends. Now, how many knows what Daniel's three friends' names were? What do you know him by, mostly? What's the most popular names of Daniel's three friends? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, that's the popular names we know Daniel's friends by, but you know that's not their names? But that's how the church knows them, too. If I ask how many of you tonight to name them, most of us would say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I would have, too. But that's not their real names. But that's the mold that the world wants to squeeze them into. Because all of those names represent Babylonian gods. But that was not their original names. Their original name was Hananiah. One of them was Hananiah. Okay? Which means, uh, let, me, let me give you, let me, I, I wrote these down because it's cool. The Lord is gracious. Hananiah, the Lord is gracious. That was his name. Michel, or Michel. Who, uh, which means, who is like God? And then the other one was Azariah, the Lord is my helper. That was their original names. And then, of course, the king changed their name to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What did he change Daniel's name to? Now, we know Daniel by name, Daniel. But Dan, they gave Daniel a name too, but what was it? You're right, Belshazzar. Belshazzar. But, but even though they tried to change his name, now most of us would have just said Daniel because we read the book of Daniel. Uh, but they recognized him in that, in that society as Belshazzar, who, who was like Baal, which is a, a Babylonian god. He's a, he's a protector of Baal. That's what they wanted him to be. So we got the players, Nebuchadnezzar, which represents Babylon, an evil system. We have uh, four young men. In fact, Every teenager should read the book of Daniel. In fact, every Christian should read the book of Daniel. It has everything. I'm telling you, the book of Daniel has everything. It has prophecies, some of the greatest prophecies, some of the greatest revelation about end time events. Next to the book of Revelation, you'll find in Daniel. In fact, you can't even understand the book of Revelation if you don't understand Daniel. It has everything. It has, it has fiery furnaces. It has wild animals. It has, it has everything. It has great escapes. Uh, this Daniel has everything and it has four young men. Now it would go to verse one, Daniel chapter one and verse one. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Verse two. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah into the, into his hands and with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the article to the treasure house of his God. I think verse 3, and the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. Now, if Daniel, some people say Daniel's around 15 years old. Give or take a year, he's around 15 years old, a young man. At the end of the book of Daniel, he is 90 years old. He's, he spent all of his life in Babylon. He has served under some four different kings. Uh, he, has, he has been involved in the government. Uh, he has stayed true to his God, and, uh, and it, it is an amazing story. Now, uh, his friends, his three friends kind of fade into the fabric of history, but Daniel remains strong, okay? But it's amazing. Out of all of the, the people that was taken, not just these four was taken. Now, here's what I want you to get. Not all of these four was the ones that's taken, but these four stood tall. 
You see, there were still some Christian people or religious people in the days of the flood. Not, I mean, Methuselah wasn't of that crowd. And there was others. There was, there was Enoch who walked and talked with God. And he went. Uh, he didn't, you know, he went up. God took him up. He was, in fact, as far as I know, he hadn't died yet. There was religious or spiritual people in the times of, of Noah, but nobody heard anything about them. You just heard about it was kind of overridden by all the bad that was going on. And I think that's what goes in our world. We, we look at all the bad because it comes out on TV and we forget beneath all, beyond all the bad. There's a lot of good stuff going on. There's a lot of good stuff going on. And even though there was, there, there was a bunch of people taken, young men taken, uh, and nobles taken into Babylon, not all of them caved in. There were some that stood tall. There were some that resisted. So uh, there's Daniel, his three friends. Uh, they, they represent the believer in the world striving to obey God in the midst of spiritual opposition, just like you and I. It's a picture of you and I. These people are. What are the three avenues of opposition? Now, we are opposed. We receive opposition. There's three avenues of opposition. Which, which avenues does it come? There's three channels. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Okay? Those three channels. There's opposition going to come from the world because the world system is, is the, who's in control of it? The devil. And then our flesh. Who does our flesh cater to? Our flesh, wants to, our flesh wants to be petted. Our flesh wants to be, you know, uh, you know pampered. Our, and, there's, and there's five avenues or five giants that you have to conquer if you're going to conquer yourself. There's five gates that you have to be in control of to conquer your flesh. What are they? David picked up five smooth stones, five of them. There was five giants. The giants had four brothers. Okay, what's the five senses? You have, that's the five gates you've got to master because those five gates take things from the outside physical world into the inner world of the spirit and what you feed your spirit, man, is what you'll become. And until we master those gates and we take care of those gates and, and, and it's a full-time job and I would like to tell you that I have them all conquered tonight but that would be a lie and I don't want the rest of you to lie either. But we're working on them. You better be working on them. Because if you're not working on them, uh, you're, you'll get conquered. Okay? So, so there's three avenues, three channels that we're going to receive this opposition. Three avenues. And, and now notice. And then thirdly, this, here's the third player. There is a sovereign God who leaves his children in the world and yet promises to bring them through safely. Amen. Hallelujah. We are in this world but we're not of it. of it. This is the picture of us, church. Amen. Now I'm going to share with you four ways in which the world tries to squeeze us. Okay? Number one, the world seeks to destroy our heritage. The world seeks to destroy your heritage. What heritage? I'm talking about your Christian heritage. Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the third year, all right, he comes, Nebuchadnezzar comes, came to Jerusalem, he besieged it. Number two, verse two, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, and with some of the articles of the house of God. Here is all these articles. Uh, he takes the articles of the house of God, he takes them back to the land of Shinar, to his house of his God, and he brought the articles of, of worship and everything. He, he, he's trying to destroy. That's all these youth had to hang on to. 
they, the temple was gone. The articles of worship were gone. Sacrifice was gone. They was taken into a foreign land. Everything that the, their heritage they had, was ripped away from them. Everything that they held that mattered was taken from them and fell into the hand of pagans. Now, I wrote some things down. You can, you can help me fill in, all right? The world we live in. How long, how long has the war been going on about trying to remove religion from the, from the courthouse? Why are they doing that? Why is the world doing that? Let's remove the Ten Commandments from the courthouse. Let's take prayer out of the school. Let's, let's, take, let's don't let them pray. Uh, you know, what's going, what is pulling the strings behind all that? They're trying to remove our heritage. You've heard the story. We're no longer a Christian nation. Who said? Who said? I didn't say that. Why is the world trying to do that? The same thing that they tried to do to these four Hebrew boys, they try to do to the church, to you, all the time. They're trying to do it to our children. They're trying to do it to us. And, and, and I know that, you know, uh, we, we, we don't really, I don't think we really resist as much as we should, but I'm telling you, there is, a, there is an organized attack on trying to remove our heritage from us. This is a Christian nation. It was founded on Christian principles and, and, and the Judean, in fact, it was this, our, our whole law system was founded on the Ten Commandments. Our whole judicial system and the more, of un, the more ungodly judges we put into the judge system, the more and more we're going to lose our heritage and the decisions they're going to make is going to be anti-God. Then they attack our religious holidays. Well, we don't want to call it Christmas anymore. We just want to wish everybody a happy holiday season. What is behind all that? Behind all of that is the world trying to take an attack and remove us from our spiritual Christian heritage. It happened back then. They took those young boys out of that uh, system, took them away from, the, from their heritage, took them, uh, separated from their temples, separated them from their worship, from their sacrifices, and tried to remove them from their heritage. But I want you to understand something. You may, take, you may remove somebody from their heritage, but you can't remove what's in their heart. And that's where we had better get this down in our heart. Because regardless of what the world tries to do, you better have some stuff down in your heart. Because what you see on TV and what you hear in the news and what goes on politically and all that, all that garbage and stuff, I'm telling you, you will be depressed and defeated if you don't have something in your heart that they can't take away from you. Don't let them separate you from your heritage. Okay? Then secondly, the world seeks to deconstruct our faith. The world seeks to deconstruct our faith. Now notice he took the articles of, of uh, worship, he took them out of the temple, and took them back and put those in the temple of his God. What is he saying? He's saying it's a boast. My God is bigger than your God. See here, you boys, if your God was so great, he wouldn't... Yeah. You know, look, where's your God? I took this back. My God's bigger than your God. 
And so he's now, not only he's trying to destroy their heritage, he's trying to deconstruct their faith. Is your God real? If your God was real, why, why would he allow that to happen? You know, God didn't really answer your prayers the way you, you thought it should be answered. So, you know, what kind of God do you serve? If your God is so great, why does he allow suffering? And on and on and on it goes, right? You know, at the Twin Towers, remember what the question was when the ten Twin Towers fell? Where was God? And then I think, what was it, Billy Graham's daughter said, probably where, he probably answered your prayer because you didn't want him in the court system, you didn't want him in the school, you didn't want him around. Maybe he answered your prayer and left. <laughs> I mean, she said that in an interview. That was pretty, pretty powerful. Maybe she, God answered your prayer. You know, in the 60s, the slogan started, God is what? That's, that started in the 60s, way back in the uh, hippie generation. That's where Bill Clinton and all them guys get to going. God is dead. Christians are being persecuted around the world. Where's God? Thousands of Christians are being persecuted in Iraq right now. Boy, those people are ruthless. Renounce your faith in God or die. You know what's happening? Some of those people are renouncing their faith in God. And you know what those people are doing? They're cutting their heads off anyway. Oh, they're ruthless. Reports are coming back that they have beheaded people by the thousands for their faith. And some of them out of fear is recanted and they killed them anyway. Where's your God at? Your God was bigger than my God. He, would, he wouldn't allow me to do this. Questioning your confidence and your faith in God, trying to deconstruct your faith. Thirdly, the world seeks to reconstruct our values. <laughs> Daniel chapter 1, go through verse 3 and 5. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his enochs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. Here's what they're going to do. Young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now notice what he's starting to do. He's going to reconstruct their values. How's he going to do that? How many ever heard of the term values clarification? How many knows that our school system is a master at values clarification? We'll talk about that in just a moment because we are pressured by it every day. Four godly teens surrounded by a counterculture. First of all, they isolate them. They take them out of familiar surroundings. They take them to Babylon. Then they begin to indoctrinate them. All these young men I don't know how many there were. There, there was probably numbers of them. Could be numbered in, in the hundreds. They gave them a full ride, a school, full scholarship to Babylon youth. Gave them three years of instruction in, 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 in the knowledge of the, of the Chaldeans, in science and history and culture and their gods and their religion. Began to indoctrinate them. You know how many of our young people will lose their faith by the time they finish a four-year college? Over 50% of the young people that we have in our, in our youth groups 
tonight that is probably involved in our lead, as leaders in our youth system, if they are not really fully, really established in God by the time they uh, finish a four-year university or college, the faith that they once pronounced, they will lose and recant by the time they finish that four-year college. Why? Because our colleges are full of atheists and unbelievers, and it's a godless system. Yes, there's good people involved in the system, and don't misunderstand. There's, there's still good people. Thank God there's good people involved in the system. But very, very few of our young people, less than 50%, make it through hanging on to their faith. Why? It's because they're doing exactly what Babylon did. They, they took these kids, they took all these young people to begin to indoctrinate them and, and give them their, an education in the, in, the, in the values of Babylon, and it began to have an effect on them. Thirdly, they compromised. They gave them something new to eat. You can, have, you can eat at the king's table. It was a smorgasbord. It was all you could eat and all you wanted all the time. And many of them, no doubt, compromised and, and ate at the king's table. And any time they was hungry, they co compromised and went and ate. It's amazing how fast the church can accept and conform to the world's views. Can we talk tonight? Yeah. Let's just take, and I, I put some things out here. How about abortion? <laughs> You know as well as I do, if the professing church voted Bible values, there would be nobody ever get a political office, especially a national office, that had anti-family values. That's the truth. That's the truth. But how easily we, we cling to our party affiliates. My first, my first and your first responsibility is this book right here. I am not a Democrat, nor am I a Republican. I vote Bible values. The church must vote Bible values, or you will literally destroy yourself. We get what we vote for. Can we talk? Abortion, abortion, if we had voted in the right people, there would be no abortions, legal abortions today. Now, yes, in... in for women whose lives are in jeopardy, I understand situations like that. And I realize that the, the people, uh, maybe people here today have, have had abortions. God is a forgiving God, okay? There's nothing you've done that God can't forgive you for. But I'm just simply saying our views about ab abortion and taking innocent life has changed. The world has squeezed us and indoctrinated us and, and infiltrated the church with these values. And our values are changing. How about homosexuality? Most churches are okay with it. But, and, but then not only homosexuality, how about, there's a new term going around. It started in the, actually it started before the, the 90s, but actually in around the early 90s it started, it, it was metrosexual. You ever heard of that? Blending of the sexes. Dressing metrosexual. Straight, uh, guys and straight women dressing, uh, cross-dressing. In other words, men wearing women's pants because they fit better. That looks good to me, doesn't you? 
They have special shops where men can go to shop and they can buy. Yeah, Google it for yourself. Now, it actually started before the 90s because there was a quarterback started years ago. His name was Namath and he modeled hoes. He was probably the first metrosexual dresser. But it is, but see, the, and, and here comes the Christian young person who sees nothing wrong with it. And there's, you know, the thing is, why do we do what we do? Why does the world want to squeeze us into certain molds? Because the world wants to blend the sexes to make everything acceptable. And so the church becomes, you know, we get infiltrated with this stuff and it, and it affects our thinking. And then we begin to think, well, it's all right. Well, it's not all right. There ought to be enough difference in the way you dress and I dress to know if you're a girl or a boy. I shouldn't have to wonder. I better get off of that. <laughs> Marriage. Marriage. The, the failure rate in marriage in the church is the same as it is in the world. 50-50. 50% of all marriages, whether Christian or unbelievers, in in divorce. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't give you reasons to divorce, because He does. And if you're divorced here today, God forgives. But if you decide to get married again, it's for keeps. Or don't get married. Is this okay? When you say, I take you for better, for worse, I'll tell you, it's true. It'll be some worse in there. More worse and better. Not really. There's a balance. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? To think that you're going to get married and ride off into the sunset and live happily ever after, Selah, that's, that's, I don't even think Hollywood makes movies like that anymore, do they? Because it's not reality. Because first of all, you're a woman and he's a man and you are opposites. And then God, God has a sense of humor. He puts you together and then says, now become one. <laughs> he's sadistic. It's amazing how we get, you know, do we think that we can, you know, get married and just everything all go our way. Morality in general. How about lying? There's certain times that a good lie will get you by. I'm not going to have you raise your hand. <laughs> How many believers in this building have not told a lie? Because I don't want you to go to hell. <laughs> I'm meddling tonight, isn't it? I should go on with this one. Uh, <laughs> that's a dirt road. You'll be amazed at how many people, how many Christians lie. Honesty? Oh, my Jesus. You know what? If you're not an honest person, I don't care how many papers you sign. Right. <laughs> you can sign a, a, a sheet of papers from here that stretch to Palm Avenue. And if you're not honest, I don't care how many times you sign your signature, you're not going to keep that. Listening to vulgar words. Now we're really going to get down to where we live. Listening to vulgar words. How many times, how, how many watches TCM, Turner Classics? 
You know, the worst word you're going to hear those say is, I'm going to beat the way out of you. But after you get to a certain spot in the movies, um, then you start hearing GD and, and then the F-bombs start coming. Don't, and all those movies we watch, you, you start counting the words, F this, F that, F this, F that. How many knows that's vulgarity? GD this, GD that, GD this. You know what GD stands for, right? Yeah. We, and we watch those movies and we listen to those vulgar words and we're affected by that. You may not think you're affected by that, but I'm telling you words are seeds and they go into our mind, they go into our spirit and we have all listened to it, preachers included. And then how about porn? How many, how many has watched porn lately? Come on, raise your hands, all of you, because you have. Be honest. How many's watched that hamburger commercial? Get a taste of Texas. That's what I'm saying. Come on, you know, you see, have you seen that commercial? It's a hamburger commercial. Who cares what hamburger chain it is? The commercial's great. I thought, what does that have to do with hamburgers? Here's these scantily clad girls hanging all over some cars, and they're having, I don't know what hamburger, I don't even know what hamburger, who cares what hamburger, I didn't get the hamburger. <laughs> Carl Jr.'s. Yeah, mom likes that one. <laughs> that was, that was, B, that was Linda B.C. <laughs> Oh, Lord. Now, you say, well, I haven't watched porn. If you watch TV, you watch porn. You watch porn every day of your life. See, you, see, you just think, well, if you don't go on the, you just don't watch hard porn. I'm telling you, watching, you're, listening, you're listening to porn. Now, you watch those movies where those guys and girls get together and, and, and they're having all those sex scenes and stuff. and Don't leave, don't leave too much to the imagination. Come on now, are we talking? What is that doing? That's desensitizing us. That's desensitizing us morally. How are we doing with those things? How are we doing with those things? How is our mind handling that and filtering that? When we're thinking about, when we're thinking about stuff, how does that affect our thinking? And to say it doesn't affect us is not true because the world is designed to force us and to assimilate us into its thinking. And we as a church, we just sit here and we gorge ourselves. You probably watch six or seven hours a day of TV. How many, how many would say you watch three hours a day? Don't lie. Three hours. Four hours. Five you watch five hours of TV, no telling how many vulgar words you've heard, no telling how many, how much stuff, unless you stay on, the, and then if you stay on the news, you get so depressed, you don't want to live. That's the truth. Am I talking to you the truth? So we just want to put somebody down. Well, them guys are watching porn. Well, we're all watching porn. You got it, seen your newspaper lately? Have you opened a magazine up? If you're in the doctor's office, you know, pick up home and garden. What has that got to do with home and garden? And home and garden will always have eight ways to 
uh, eight ways to spice up your sex life. I thought, what has that got to do with home and garden? Home and garden? You think, well, Pastor, what in the world are you doing? I'm just trying to say the world has a way of trying to sensitize us and to assimilate us into and reconstruct our values. And I'm telling you, when we hear those things and when we see those things, we are affected by it. You might not think we're being affected by it, but we are. And in our situations, in our futures, our decision-making processes will be affected by those things that we've watched, those things that we've heard that's lodged in our mind. Remember what gates go into the inner world of the Spirit? The eye, the ear? Are we okay? And fourthly, the world seeks to undermine our identity. Their names were changed. Clearly, the, the goal was for these young men to think and to act and to speak like the unbelievers around them. That was the goal Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon had, to make them think, to act, and speak. That's the goal the world wants for us. He want, the world wants us to act, to think, and, and act just like them. And without us realizing it, we are really playing into the world's hands. We're buying into the system. There's not that much difference in what we do and what they do. There's not that much difference, folks. They didn't overly force them to change their religion. That you don't read that. The process was, process was designed to make it easy for them to forget. Now, I got the good news before we close. No matter what we see, no matter how bad it looks like it's getting, remember this, God's in control. Go back to verse 2, Daniel chapter 1 and verse 2. Nebuchadnezzar thought, Nebuchadnezzar, and you probably missed this when, I, when we read it, Nebuchadnezzar thought that he was the one pulling the strings. Who was pulling the strings? And the Lord what? And the Lord gave the king of Judah into his hands. Into whose hands? Nebuchadnezzar didn't do nothing without God. Not without God. So all that time, Nebuchadnezzar was trying to force these four Hebrew children into their mold and trying to tell them where was their God, when all the time it was God that allowed him to do that to begin with. And so when you see all the chaos on TV and all the things that are aimed at the church and everything is coming your way, behind it all you've got to remember when the voice of the world says, where's your God, where's he at? Just remember, God's in control and God's sovereign plan is going. Don't wring your hands. Don't wring your hands. Don't get fearful. I don't care how bad it looks or how bad you, you think it's going to get. God's still in control, and he's working his sovereign plan. And I'm telling you, and you'll find out if you'll read the rest of this story, God came on the scene. And even though they went through the fire, they didn't bend, they didn't bow, and they didn't break because God went through the fire with them. And I'm persuaded to believe that God will go through the fire with us too. Don't bend. The key is that Daniel purposed in his heart not to eat and not to defile himself with the king's delicacies. And that's what we have to have it. We have to have it. In, we're in this world. The world can't touch our heart. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. 
turn, turn off of the programs, change the channels, do whatever you have to do to avoid all that junk. And listen, purpose in your heart, I'm not going to defile myself with the king's meat. Amen? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm praying for courageous people to come out of this classroom. Courageous people who have purpose in their heart not to defile themselves uh, with the world system, its ways and its actions and its thinking. But they're going to walk separate and they'll purpose in their heart that they're, gonna, they're not going to defile themselves with the world's ways and systems of thinking. And that they're going to be strengthened, Lord God, uh, in that inner man of their spirit. And so I pray that out of, this, out of this class and out of this church, there's going to become courageous people that will, that will live courageous lives, even in turbulent times. That there's going to be enough difference in, in our life and their life, God, that the world will see that, that not, not everyone is walking to the same drumbeat. But there is a difference uh, in those who have purpose in their heart, they're, they're, that they're listening to, to another voice and walking in another spirit. And do it, Lord God, for your glory. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. All right. God bless you guys. All right. Courageous living in turbulent times.